In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> there once was a comedian named W.C. Fields, whom you may have seen in very old movies. Somebody asked W.C. Fields whether he were afraid of dying, and his reply was one of his most famous lines. On the whole, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, at least he didn't deny that he was going to die. And that, believe it or not, brings us to Ash Wednesday. Later in this service, you will feel the sign of the cross being put upon your forehead, and you will hear these words. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's not a line that the ancient church made up to make us all behave. The first person to say that line was God. He said it to Adam and Eve. And his motive was what God's motive always is. It's love. He doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live. And he knows that the only way for us to live is to stay connected with him who is the source of life. What part of that don't we understand? And yet, in 21st century America, we are into massive denial. Our wealth insulates us from the realities of famine and disease that ravage most of humanity. And you're saying, what wealth? Well, I'll tell you, if you're an average American, last year you drank 760 carbonated drinks. Well, your typical Sudan sister walked a round trip of three mi uh, six miles to get a bucket of water. Our kids are obese. Hers are starving. As a nation, in our effort to attain a body that is only ever seen in magazine ads, we spent in 2009, which was the latest year I could find a figure for, we spent $33 billion on beauty enhancement and personal grooming. And so, as Americans, we sit upon the thrones of our souls, garbed in our royal robes, imagining ourselves impervious. And in our illusory throne room, a jester in motley distracts us with antics and trickery and trinkets, all the while the jester inwardly mocking us for being so easily beguiled. The jester's name is Death and to dust we will return. Ashes have a long tradition as symbols of grief and repentance. Scripture gives us many examples. For example, King David sitting in ashes as he mourns the death of his son. Job sitting in ashes, repenting his flimsy grasp of the great greatness of God. And usually the ash person is wearing sackcloth, which was made out of goat's hair. It's very coarse, and it's very uncomfortable next to your skin. So if you have any sackcloth on tonight, it's okay if you fidget a little bit. I understand that. But we've pretty much left off the sackcloth. We preserve ashes in a small way as a sign of our repentance. In my other vocation as a teacher of British literature, I used to teach Chaucer and Shakespeare. And as a result of that, I have a fair-sized vocabulary of obsolete words. <clears throat> Alas, 
Alas, in recent years, I have noticed another once meaningful word get obsolete. The word is sin. Outside the walls of, this church, of the church, nobody sins anymore. Have you noticed that? They make errors in judgment. A few days ago, former police chief Nate Harper was sentenced to 18 months in jail, and his public comment was, I made a mistake. That is the standard line for high-profile sinners. I made a mistake. Do you hear how hollow that is? A mistake is sort of not really me. A mistake has no moral content, whatever. With ashes, you and I get real before God. We're not kidding him or us. We acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are not just sorry, we repent, and that means stop it. Change direction, face toward God and eternal life in him. That's repentance. Ash Wednesday is the gateway to Lent. The length of Lent is suggested by Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, but Lent in itself is not about the life of Jesus. It is a preparation for us to share his life in the three days of Holy Week beginning with Maundy Thursday. We begin on Maundy Thursday, it culminates on Easter. We observe Lent so that in Holy Week, we can fully, deeply, soberly engage with our Lord Jesus Christ in his suffering and then sing hallelujahs at his rising again. So I suggest that we think of Lent as a 40-day journey. Now, there are many kinds of journeys. If you're like me and have been watching Downton Abbey on Masterpiece on Sunday evenings, you have seen some wonderful ads for river cruises. Have you noticed them? <laughs> that is the ultimate luxury, I think. You sit on a wonderful vessel, people wait on you hand and foot, and you have nothing to do except make up your mind what to order from a vast exotic menu. From your deck chair, you gaze upon medieval villages and storied castles. And because you're on your deck chair, you are totally detached from the reality and ugliness of what goes on in those places. You know, it's funny. Jesus never said, cruise along with me. <laughs> he literally took his disciples into desert places to pray and to be renewed. So I propose that we envision our Lenten journey as a desert adventure to which he invites us. Now, I know our translations say wilderness, but when you live where we do, wilderness can be tall evergreens and sparkling brooks. Where Jesus lived, wilderness was desert. So let's think desert. His particular Judean desert was rocks, dirt, crags, caves, rocks, and rocks. <laughs> His companions were lynxes, reptiles, locusts, and numerous varieties of creepy, creepy crawlies. No food, and of course, no water. Thirst is agonizing, is it not? That's the desert. 
So why in the world would anybody want to voluntarily go there? Well, because God leads us to the desert not as a place of punishment, but as a place of grace. So how shall we travel? First of all, travel light. I just read a charming book about an American couple who went and toured England, and they took 12 suitcases with them. Can you imagine schlepping... Oh, by the way, and in one of those suitcases was a teapot. <laughs> okay. Can you imagine schlepping 12... You do know what that word means, don't you? Or do you? Well, okay. Uh, <clears throat> all over England, loading and unloading 12 suitcases from your rental car every night. Let's not do that in our desert journey. Now let me tell you two comments that I hear a lot and indeed I myself make. I hear this. Oh, my life is so busy and so complicated. I'm exhausted. And oh, I would really like to pray, but I don't have time. Those two things are related, by the way. Okay, if that's you, and it certainly is me, I, let's grab Lent as a chance to get a hold of our lives and reorder things. Reorder, not reorder on, not buying stuff. Get things into order. Yeah. Put things away. Pitch some stuff. Unload stuff that in itself is okay, but in total weighs us down and uses up our time and energy. Every period of history finds Lent challenging. It is never easy because the world, the flesh, and the devil are always out there tempting. The temptations change as time goes on. I don't think any of you are going to be tempted to swell, swipe my quill pen, nor to exhaust yourself practicing the minuet. I do have an example for us, I believe. We have other indulgences, stuff that is just as addictive as food, which was the traditional thing that Lent was to, uh, about. I'm thinking of our fascinating electronic devices, which are so much a part of our lives. Now, they're supposed to enhance our lives, not shred them. They're supposed to serve us, but we jump when they ring. So let's do a supposal. Suppose that, like most of the people of the world, you have power for your devices three hours a day. Now you think of them all. TV, computer, iPod, iPad, tweetering and twittering like birds all day long. It's an endless list. You have three hours of power. Now you have to decide, don't you? Now you have to decide what is really important. To whom do you really wish to speak? And you know what? Lo and behold, suddenly 
you have time to pray. Oh, my. Is that absurd or what? Considering who God is, why are we even having this conversation? He is our life. He is our hope. He is almighty God who loves us beyond all measure. And are we making him wait in line till we do everything else? So I propose that during our Lent, we all commit to 20 minutes a day for God. Is that ridiculous and undoable? 20 minutes a day? God first. God first. Now what I've been saying about electronic gizmos may not resonate with you at all. But I'm willing to bet that there's something in your life that is consuming so much of you, your time and energy, that is blocking your access or your accessibility for God to get at with you. I don't know what it is. You have to figure out what that is. And I'm suggesting that every one of us pray to God to show us what it is that we are slaves to. This is commonly called giving up something for Lent. Let's not think of it that way. Let's think of it as liberation, getting free from stuff that's holding us back. One day at a time. That's first, then, for our journey, lighten the load. The second... Um, be sure to put a guidebook in your pack. And we have free guidebacks, uh, guidebooks at the back of the nave. I'm sorry, Lenten booklets from Trinity School. So if you don't have another Lenten plan, pick up one of those and journey with us. Third, think of your journey, your desert, as a place of pilgrimage. A pilgrim is a person on move toward a destination. A pilgrim mage is a journey of prayer and discipline. Think over the amazing athletes that we've just seen in the Winter Olympics. Can you even imagine how much discipline and how much sacrifice and how many hours of practice it took for them to even get to participate? Lent is our training period to participate in the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, and the Resurrection of Christ. Of course, desert travel has its hazards. I mentioned some of the creatures out there with Jesus. I think for modern Americans, our creatures are more likely to be things like slithering reptiles of doubt, dragons of despair, and for us Americans, chiefly, the money monster the Bible calls Mammon. Mammon, the money monster, is insatiable and relentless. It opens its huge craw and gobbles up our homes, our education, 
our judicial system, our markets, our personal lives. The money monster invades our calendar and turns our sacred holidays into sales events and turns us worshipers into consumers. While we walk our Lenten journey, the fat elf in Christmas red will morph into an Easter bunny. And he will smile and whisper to your soul and mine, the chalice costs too much. Settle for styrofoam. Fasting is downright unnatural. Eat up and go shopping. What will people think if you don't? So the question is, do we have the courage to be different, to walk a desert journey? I want to pause right here and say that I am well aware that many of you here tonight are already in your own personal deserts. Deserts not of your making or of your choosing. So take heart as while we think about some of the grace we may encounter in the desert. It's a solitary journey, but we're not alone. We have each other, we're all on it. We have the saints of past centuries. We have the angels who show up. And above all, we make the journey with Jesus. Because he who is our goal cannot wait. He comes out to meet us in our desert. He knows what a desert is. And he inhabits our desert with us and loves us with an everlasting love. He who is the rock hides us in the cleft and covers us with his hand. He leads us to oases of worship and sets before us a Eucharistic table in the wilderness. And when it is dark night, he points us to the stars. If you have ever been in the desert, you know that in the desert, the stars have a brilliance that we never see in our urban ambient light. So, pilgrims who go to Santiago de Compostela all get a little shell that they wear on their hats. Will you receive your ashes as a mark that you're a pilgrim? If you were baptized in our tradition, the priest, after baptizing you, made the sign of the cross with holy, holy oil on your forehead with the words, you are marked as Christ's own forever. Once again, the priest is going to make a sign in that very same place. When that happens, may you receive once again the sure and certain knowledge that you belong to Christ. And go forth boldly wearing your mark. And if any asks why your forehead is smudgy, you can explain. 
And if anyone mocks and jeers at you, be of good courage. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. So take his hand and walk with him through the desert to the holy city. Amen.